I love the opportunity to preach after singing that song. I am fired up. I'm probably going to bomb it, but it's going to be good, I hope. God's word is always good, and he's, he can take no matter how bad the sermon is and use it to his perfect will. Um, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts 18. Acts chapter 18. As you are turning there, um, I want to share with you uh, my story this week of why I needed this passage probably more than you did. Um, I'm tired. <laughs> I don't know if you're tired. I'm tired. Uh, pastoring through a pandemic and then dealing with all kinds of trials. I mean, we come here uh, broken and discouraged and wore out. And I know some of you, I mean, some of you, I know your story. Some of you, I don't know your story. Some of you are probably going through a trial at this very moment and you're discouraged. I mean, it's, it's hard to wake up in the morning, in the mornings. Maybe it, it probably was difficult for you to come to church this morning. Probably didn't even know if you really wanted to be here. So I want you to know, first off, that we trust in the sovereignty of God here at Red Cross. And if you're here, God wanted you here. If you're here, there's a purpose for you here. If you're here, there's a purpose for this message for you. And same for those that are listening and watching on Facebook Live. Now, my story this week, I, I texted a couple guys here in this room. I'm thankful for guys in this room that, that I can lean on at times. And, and I've just, I've just been wore out. Tuesday, I went to a pastor's meeting. Uh, one Tuesday out of the month, me and a group of pastors get together. It's about 10 or 15 of us, and we're going through books, and we're talking about Scripture, and it's, it's, a, it's a truly encouraging time for me. I love those Tuesdays. After that meeting, I went and um, did some sermon prep for this message. I wasn't able to get to any of it on Monday, but Tuesday was when I got to it. And through my sermon prep, I was encouraged through what God was telling Paul and is telling us. And it's verses 9 and 10. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will protect you. And so those were just encouraging to me. This is a good passage for discouraged people. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading it, I'm studying it, I'm writing this stuff down. I mean, I'm journaling for the first time in a while. I'm just excited. I even shared about it on Facebook. I think some of y'all saw that. I'm sitting there praying and I'm telling God, God, this passage is meant for me for what I've been going through. And I'm so thankful for your word. But then it's almost like God's like, hold up. Because 30 minutes later, I get a phone call and our family finally gets our first foster child. We've had a six-year-old boy in our home this past week. Our world has been turned upside down. Because <laughs> he is, he is, he's six. <laughs> and with my other two boys, four and six, our house is a madhouse. It's crazy. And so it's like going through this passage, it's like, I thought God was encouraging me through what I've been going through. Instead, it was God encouraging me for what I'm about to go through. And it's amazing how God does these things. The title of my sermon this morning is The Death of Discouragement. 
I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know where you're feeling or how you're feeling. or, But I do know that God has a promising word for us. And I hope that this morning we can see it. So Acts 18. If you're there, say word. They're ready. Where are y'all? <laughs> I heard word over here. Nothing over here. Stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word. Verses 1 through 17. Listen to what God has for us. Verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a, in a vision, listen, hear this. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, old Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. Open up our eyes and our hearts to the truth of your grace this morning as we tackle this passage. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. William Cooper. William Cooper was born in 1731. He was the son of one of King George II's chaplains. William Cooper's mother died when he was six. And shortly after that, he was sent off to a boarding school, which was good for him. But by the time he was 18, William Cooper became a lawyer's apprentice. He wanted to go into law. 
But before he was able to be examined to even practice law, he encountered a terrible time of depression. This led to his attempt of suicide. And over the course of his life, he attempted suicide multiple times. Around the first time, he was placed in a mental hospital. And one day, this is not by accident, one day, he found a Bible laying on a bench. William Cooper picks up this Bible and opens it and he begins reading it. He reads the story of Lazarus and his resurrection. And then he reads in Romans 3. And Cooper says that he was immediately converted. Now Cooper was a hymn writer. And he dealt with depression and discouragement most of his adult life. I figured if we're talking about discouragement, William Cooper would be one of the best ones we could talk about. Could have talked about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon encountered depression after he preached to thousands of people in the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit. And in that, somebody, in one, in one of his first sermons, somebody yelled out the word fire as a prank. And thousands of people were trying to leave the building. Many died. And Spurgeon dealt with that guilt and depression for years. But I thought William Cooper would be a better opportunity. You may be here this morning and you're discouraged. Can I encourage you with this? Here's the main idea. Here's what I want you to be able to take away from today's message. If there's anything, it's this. Main idea. God encourages us through His grace. You may be here this morning and you're hurting and you're tired and you're discouraged. God encourages us through His grace. A lot of us, a lot of times we think that grace is just that thing that saves us from our sin. Grace is any and every undeserving favor that God gives to us. That's what grace is. So the strength that it takes for you to overcome that trial that you're going through this morning, it's from God's grace. That, that courage that you need to be able to share the gospel to your coworkers or to your lost family or friends, that courage is God's grace. That strength and comfort that you receive from God as you've maybe received the diagnosis of a sickness or cancer, or maybe you've got a loved one who is suffering and dying, that strength and that comfort that God gives us is from His grace. So this morning, I want to encourage you by showing you that God encourages us through his grace. And I I believe Paul's encounter in Corinth shows us that. He's just left Athens. He's just left Berea, Thessalonica. Y'all been walking through us with this. Paul is constantly encountering opposition. People are constantly chasing him down. Remember in Berea? Who was it that chased him down? The people from the former city. They traveled to Berea. And it's just, Paul's dealing with this. How do we know that he's dealing with discouragement in this passage? How do we know that? 1 Corinthians 2, 3. As Paul writes 
to the Corinthian church after his encounter with them in chapter 18. 1 Corinthians 2, 3, Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. We also see that there's a reason why Jesus came to him and encouraged him in verses 9 and 10. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will protect you. He's tired. He's discouraged. He's struggling. He's he's continuing on. But he needs that encouragement. Church, we need that encouragement. Whether we're in ministry, whether we're serving for the church, or whether we're living our lives for Christ, we need that encouragement daily. And we need to be reminded that God encourages us through his grace. So I've got... I've got three points, but a total of five. So how is it that God encourages us through his grace? Number one, he encourages us through his people. He encourages us through his people. Verse one, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. And we see in verse 3 that they are of the same trade. He stayed with them. He worked with them because they were tent makers. They had something in common. Now, we believe, at least scholars, when I say we, I'm throwing myself in scholars. I like to make myself feel smart. We believe... That I'm not a scholar, okay? We believe that Priscilla and Aquila at this time have been saved, okay? Because we come later in the, in the, in the chapter and he ends up leaving, they end up leaving with Paul. Now, whether or not they're saved at this time doesn't matter, okay? But Paul has found friendship. Paul has found friendship with Priscilla and Aquila. And, and we see in other passages, we see in Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, and 2 Timothy 4, that these are good friends of Paul. They've developed a relationship. Then we see here in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, so they've come back to Corinth. So Paul is now surrounded by his people. Church, can I, can I tell you that God blesses us with friendship for encouragement? Esther Burr, Esther Burr can help us out with this a little bit. Esther Burr is the wife of Aaron Burr. If you've seen the musical Hamilton, he's the guy who shoots. Oh, no, I'm not going to tell you. Esther Burr is the <laughs> wife of Aaron Burr, who is the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. I'm sorry. I'm totally blowing that. Aaron Burr Sr. is the husband of Esther Burr, who is the daughter of Jonathan Edwards. There you go. All right, forget it. But she helps us in understanding the importance of this and what she says. This is what she says. She says, nothing, I totally blew that, guys. She says, nothing is more refreshing to the soul except communication with God himself than the company and society of a friend. Okay, that's the important part. All right, I blew the history. But she says there is nothing more refreshing to the soul than the company and society of a friend. Hebrews 10, 24. 
Hebrews tells us this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We, as a church body, are called to be friends together to encourage each other. We are. This is why church is so important. This is why, I mean, this is one of the many reasons why church is so important. Coming together as a body of believers, we are to be together. Together. True friends encourage us to find our ultimate joy in God. Do they not? They do. They encourage us to find our ultimate joy in God. Now, y'all are probably like me. You went to school with some friends. They were not good friends. I mean, they were good friends. They got your back until the police show up. But you did some stuff that you're not proud of. Michael Williams is smiling because I went to high school with him. And we had some of the same friends. You did some stuff that you're not proud of. You know, I'm not talking about those kind of friends. I'm talking about the friends that encourage us to be more like Christ. The friends that encourage us to, to obey God and fight our sin. The friends who encourage us when we feel alone. The friends who encourage us by praying for us on our behalf. Who encourage us to press on when we feel like throwing in the towel. I have got friends where if it wasn't for them, I don't know where I'd be today. I've got friends where it was, it was partly because of them that I was able to continue pastoring through a pandemic. Cause we were all doing it together. <laughs> friends are good for us. We were talking about William Cooper at the beginning of this sermon. William Cooper had a really good friend that helped him through his bouts of depression and discouragement. John Newton. John Newton is the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton encouraged William Cooper to be a poet. John Newton was a friend of William Cooper who who prayed with him, who encouraged him, who was there in the hardest times. We, we are to be the kind of friend that John Newton was. Paul's discouraged here and he's, God's blessing him with people. Friendship. Church, we're, we're, we're not meant to do the mission that God has called us to do alone. We're not. We're not called to bear whatever we're bearing alone. This is, this is one reason why we have a, a plurality of deacons in our church. But this is also why the Bible calls for a plurality of elders and pastors. For pastors to carry that burden. Church, this is why we encourage life groups and Sunday school and small groups so that you can build that fellowship and that friendship to where you're not going through this alone because we need each other, church. Can I say that? We do. 
We need each other. This is why we as a church, we don't see it as a business or an organization. We, we're family. Does that not feel good to think about that we are a family? A family of friends who are called to be there for each other. And why is that? Because we all share the same friend. Who is that? Jesus. There is no greater friend. Jonathan Edwards, who is Esther Burr's father, helps us with this by urging us, by saying this. He says, let it be our first love to enter into an everlasting friendship with Christ that shall never be broken. Christ is the true and greatest friend that we have. And you cannot do this. You cannot live this life without Him. You cannot continue on without Christ. So first and foremost, you need Him. I mean, He shows His love for us by dying for us. What greater friend do we need? I had some friends back in high school where one time we learned how to make a non-lethal bottle bomb. I'm not going to give you the instructions of how to do it. But we went somewhere and they had one. Me and another friend of mine had no idea. They went, set it up. And it went off. Again, it's non-lethal. Non-lethal. But they ran. And we were stuck there. Jesus is the kind of friend who does not abandon us when we need him the most. Jesus is the kind of friend who sticks by like a brother, like Proverbs tells us. Church, God encourages us through His grace, through His people. We need friends, and we need to be that kind of friend to others. Not only does He encourage us through His people, but we see, number two, that He also encourages us through His promises. Look at verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now here it is. Here's the promise, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul, One night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. God encourages us through his promises. For one, this is why we are meant to be in this book daily. This is a book of God's 
promises. How do you expect to go about day to day without knowing what his promises are for us? He's got promises for us. And sometimes, church, look at what Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with opposition, rejection, and he's also dealing with church growth. He's dealing with both. But it's the discouragement that sometimes will blind us from seeing what is good. What we should be thankful for. Instead, we dwell on the discouragement. You see, God makes a promise to Paul. First, he tells him, do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. So first, we see the promise of his presence. The promise of his presence in the midst of discouraging times. We can see it in Joshua 1.5. When, when Joshua is about to take Moses' place, God tells him, he says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then in verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's not the only place where we're encouraged by this. We also see the encouragement in Matthew 28 when Christ has commissioned us to go and make disciples. He says in Matthew 28, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, not only does God encourage us through his people, he encourages us through the promise of his presence. He's with us. And he's encouraging Paul through this. I am with you. Nothing, nothing can separate us. From his presence. No trial. No suffering. No sin. If we have been bought and redeemed by the Son of God, no sin can separate us from him. We have the promise of his presence. Church, when we are going through that trial, when we're being told of that medical diagnosis or when we're being told that a loved one has passed or when we're being told that we are in trouble or suffering in some way, when we're told that, when we're encountered with that, we're not alone. God is with us. His presence is with us. We forget that. We really do. We forget that daily. That Christ is with us wherever we go. Not only do we have the promise of His presence, but secondly, we have the promise of His protection. And we have to be careful with this. This does not mean that that, that God will protect us from suffering. What is it that ultimately God has protected us from? His wrath. 
He's protected us from his wrath by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I want you, I want you to kind of think about this. A lot of times, so, so I've battled with anxiety. All right. I, I, that, that, that is something I have battled with. And, and, and the more I lean on the sovereignty of God, the more I lean into his word, the better I'm able to handle and overcome times of anxiety. But one of the things that, 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 that I do in my anxiety, one is, is, is I worry about the most ridiculous things. Almost the impossible And how we overcome that is in Philippians 4, dwell on what is true. What is true? So what is true for us, church? What is true for us, believers? The truth is this, is that you have been saved and redeemed from the wrath of God. In other words, you are protected from the worst. So that means through the grace of God, we can overcome the bad. Even though bad will come our way, even though suffering will come our way, even though trials will come our way through the blood of Christ, we will never, ever, 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 ever experience the worst. Can it always get worse? Absolutely. But believer, you're protected from the worst. We have his protection. And nothing can separate us from that. William Cooper, in one of his, uh, one of his poems, he says this. This is a really good poem. He, he says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, as vile as he, washed all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, the flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, we are protected. We are. And God is working every single day within our lives. Keeping us in his perfect will and plan. Keeping us in his presence. In his sovereign grace. We can trust him with that. Not only... Not only are we encouraged by his people, not only are we encouraged through his promises, his promises of his presence and his promises of his protection, but thirdly, we are encouraged through his providence. His providence. Look at verse 12. After Paul has stayed a year and six months teaching the word, he's encouraged by the promise God's given him. So he's pushing forward. He's staying. Verse 12. But when Gallio was Proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, 
He said, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, old Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they, the Jews, seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. We are encouraged through his providence. Why? What does this passage show us about that? This passage shows us that God kept his promise that Paul will be protected. Paul, Paul was not put at charge here. Paul was not put in harm's way here. Paul was protected. And we can trust that God is going to work through all things to make his will happen. He always wins. He never fails because he is providential. He is sovereign. He's in control. He works all things out for his good and his glory. So we see him keeping his promise here. Church, we are going to go through that. We're, we're going to go through trials and suffering. And we're going to encounter discouragements and despair. But we can trust that God is sovereignly working through those. It's interesting in this text. It's interesting that Paul doesn't encounter the suffering. Instead, a guy named Sosthenes does. Now, we saw earlier in the text in verse 8, Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. But Crispus comes to know Christ and believes and him and his family believe and they get baptized. So there needs to be a new ruler of the synagogue and it's Sosthenes. The Jews are upset that Gallio has said Paul is not going to be punished for this. So they take the ruler of their own synagogue, throw him before Gallio and they beat him. If you're not going to do it, watch this. Why is this interesting? You guys ready for something cool? I love this. We don't know if it's 100% for sure, though. <laughs> it's interesting because we think Sosthenes came to know Christ after this. 1 Corinthians 1.1. Paul introduces the letter to the church at Corinth by saying, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. My hope is that that is this Sosthenes. Am I saying that it is? We don't know for sure. Is it impossible? No. God is providentially working through the suffering of Sosthenes for him to come to know Christ. God has a purpose and a plan. Though evil may come, evil will not have victory. Though suffering may come, we can trust in God's sovereignty. I sat down with one of our shut-ins yesterday, our oldest shut-in actually. She is 99. She will be 100 in September. Uh, some of y'all know her, Virginia Andrews. Very sweet lady, been through a lot lately. She can barely see and she can barely hear. Uh, 
Uh, it's a very loud house when you go visit her. You've got to yell. Very sweet lady. We sat down yesterday and we hung out for, you know, a good 30, 45 minutes and just talked. And she talked about how she's going to be turning 100 in, in September. And uh, she is sharp as a tack. I mean, her memory, I mean, every, I'm like, wow. So I asked her, I said, if you could, because we were, we were talking about a lot that's happening within our church, the growth, all the young people coming. I asked her, I said, if you could, if you could stand before the young people in our church, because you're about to turn 100, and give them any advice, what would that ad- advice be? This is what she said. She said, trust Jesus and his will. It will all work out. Trust Jesus and his will and it will all work out. Coming from somebody who's about to be 100, can we not trust that? William Cooper died in April of 1800. Spent most of his life battling depression. But through all of his suffering, it made him a great poet. It did. He leaned on God's sovereignty. He leaned on the word of God. Through his suffering, he's able to put out all this stuff about who God is. He understood God's grace because of his suffering. In 1774, about 26 years before he passed, He wrote the poem, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. This is what he says. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace behind a frowning providence. He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast. Unfolding every hour, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Church, we, we can be encouraged by God's grace and his sovereignty in discouraging times. There will be times where we will be discouraged. We're coming out of a pandemic. We've lost loved ones. We have friends and family who are living and will soon be dying without the gospel. We live in a nation where they don't know God. Church, we will be discouraged at times but we can be encouraged through His grace. The grace that He gives us through the people within our lives, friends, parents, grandparents. We can be encouraged through the promises that He gives us, the promises of His presence, 
promises of His protection, the promises we have in His Word. And we can be encouraged through His providential care that He is working out all things. He's not a God who sits back and just watches things happen. He's a God who's in it and His hands are on every single thing. John Piper once said, and I'm paraphrasing, that God is doing a million things in your life at this very second and you may be only aware of three of them. So believer, be encouraged. Be encouraged because we serve a God who sent His Son to die for us. Be encouraged that we serve a God who sent the greatest of friends into our lives. Be encouraged that we serve a God who keeps His Word. Because we see it on the cross. The cross is a promise fulfilled. And if He's willing to keep that Word, He's willing to keep them all. And trust that He's working in our lives daily. Lean on the cross. Lean on Christ. Lean on God's grace. And as William Cooper said, behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. Trust in His sovereignty. I pray you do that this morning. Let's pray. Father God, You are so good. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be the friend that we need to be. That friend that will encourage people to grow and to love you more. and to and the, the friend that will encourage our friends to obey and to be holy and to fight sin and to find joy and satisfaction in you. Help us to be that friend, God. Help us as we work together as a church body in unity for our pursuit of joy in you. God, there may be people here this morning who are just discouraged, tired, wore out, needing rest, needing you, needing grace. God, whether it be sin or suffering or trials, whatever it is, Remind them of your promises. Remind them of the promises of your presence and the promises of your protection. Remind them of the promise that you have fulfilled in Christ. The promise that if we would put our faith and trust in him, we will be saved from the wrath of God. Remind them, God, of the promise that that there's nothing in this world that will separate us from you and your love. Remind them of the promise that you are working and reigning, that you are doing all things for our good and your glory. Remind them of the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. We need that this morning, God. God, encourage us in knowing and and seeing your sovereignty in this world your sovereignty in our lives, how you are working out all things, how you are fulfilling and keeping your promises, how how you are using us for your purpose and plan. So God, help us this morning to look to the cross. Help us to look to you in your grace. 
We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.